0: We're back. We're back. It's distraction. I'm through. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? Pretty good, man. How are things? I'm fine. The usual. I'm fine. Everything's just fine and good. I watched like two outs of the uh, of the World Series last night. Very riveting. Like the second the the Braves hit a home run, I was like, "Well, that's just fucking great."
1: yeah it was a it was a nice long game, so you could kind of hop in and catch a couple outs here or there anytime between eight and midnight, which i think is really nice for baseball it's yeah like uh one of those it's a it's a it's a cool look a nice between that uh, and uh you know the fact that we're gonna be getting some racist chanting in the monitors in a couple games i think this is really this is the time for baseball to shine
0: it was it was an incredible night for commissioners of baseball and football just a just a remarkable uh competition between Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred Mann uh, to see who was the most tone-deaf asshole of the bunch with uh, with Roger Goodell being like, well, I think Dan Snyder has you know paid a pretty hefty price uh, for the Washington <laughs> football team email scandal, which he paid no price at all. Yep. And then fucking Manfred getting interviewed before the World Series. And this is a quote. He said, I like, guess it's about the Braves being racist and the Tomahawk Chop being racist. And he said, the Native American community in that region is wholly supportive of the Braves program. I didn't know the Braves were no longer a, a team, but a, a community program, including yeah. the <laughs> CHOP Mayford said. For me, that's kind of the end of the story. In that market, we're taking into account the Native American community. So the Snyder energy has leaked into baseball,
1: which is just yeah. very exciting and riveting to me. It's an old-fashioned integrity off, yeah. and uh, I, I guess this would be where I say that I'm here for it. I, I just like that
0: white people like me... Are explaining notions of pride and heritage about Native Americans to other white people like me. So that, the thing is-
1: that rules to me about the Manfred statement is that executives at that level are just using stranger and stranger words to describe universally understood things at this point. Where the idea of like the program, or often using the word market to describe like the city where a basketball team plays instead of just saying like Milwaukee is all very, uh, like, it's just a a way to show that, first of all, you have a job that involves wearing a tie. Yeah. And second of all, (laughs) that, like, you've learned you're so good at it that you actually became a robot. Like, your brain is now just full of ones and zeros that spits out words that are roughly synonymous with the words that people use, but not the same.
0: Well, because you don't want to just use the name, you don't want to use the word city, because that connotes, like, actual Atlanta instead of where the Braves actually play. And you don't want to alienate like all the hardworking people of fucking Stone Mountain, who you know are who could potentially be in that market. So you want to make sure that look, the the
1: market loves the program. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about that.
0: You want to be fully, fully inclusive. Speaking of being inclusive,
1: our guest—it's comedian. Let's include our guest. It's Christian Finnegan. Hi, Christian. How are you?
2: Hello, fellas. It is a a pleasure to be here.
1: Ah. Thanks for coming on our podcast.
2: Thank you. I went and say Charlie Daniels' laser show at Stone, Mart- stone Mountain when I was a, a wee lad.
0: Wait, wow. c- can you can you explain what what that is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my
2: mother was from Sandy Springs, Georgia, and we would go down there and uh, Stone Mountain, which you know is that giant. I don't. Know, it's a stupid thing with a civil uh, Confederate sculpture chipped into the stone. And they shot lasers on it, uh, like a Pink Floyd laser show type deal, but on the face of the mountain uh, to, it may have been a whole medley of other country artists. I just remember Devil Went Down to Georgia because they had a whole like animated thing where they would have a a (gasps) laser violin playing and then a laser devil. It was very, uh, spoke to me. Were they they doing Did it it
1: make uh, racial resentment come alive?
2: It really, yeah, it really
0: did make me feel the South is going to rise again. (laughs) <laughs> did the uh, did the lasers did the laser show happen like over the the etching itself? So did you see like did you see Johnny fight the devil? But he was doing it like over Confederate generals on horseback.
2: I imagine so. I don't have that clear a memory of it. I was I was probably four at the time. But uh, oh, right. I I you know I don't think that there is also a giant screening area at Stone Mountain. I think Snow- Stone Mountain is just Stone Mountain. So I imagine that yes, this was being lasered. Uh, it would actually be uh, lovely if just they didn't really calculate the laser properly and it act they accidentally lasered off some of their own. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Confederate generals. But so this did large
1: you, rendering of Stonewall Jackson now has 2015 vision. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you like it when you were a kid?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, devil went devil went down to Georgia. You know, there was that brand of not quite novelty novelty songs. You know that yes, yeah, yes. story that, songs. Would you say?
1: Like story songs. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly. But for, for like a little kid, you know, the idea that, you know, th- there was a lot going on. It was a story you could follow. And then when he, you know, when Johnny kicked the devil's ass with that amazing fiddle solo, I mean, that's that's like a Rocky type situation for a little kid.
0: Yeah, it was just clever enough of, so- of a song to make you forget that it's a country music song. So th- yes. I, I, I respect Charlie Daniels
1: to only that extent and no other... Charlie Daniels had an incredible end game because he, like, I guess was still making music, but he died. And not to give away if that Spoiler. was your, your or canceled for today, Drew. I didn't mean to, to steer you out of that. But Unbelievable. He, the root He stayed posting, like, Benghazi shit. And then, like, just the account got handed over to a team after he died. So he had posted, like, Benghazi ain't going away for 970 <laughs> straight days. And then, like, the day after he died of, like, just old age and being unwell like someone on whatever like a roadie was like like I will carry the torch the horn of fire like into the wilderness I'm like, yeah. just gonna pose about like fucking Benghazi like as this dead bearded guy
0: the Herman Cain online uh reanimation strategy yes.
1: yeah the Herman Cain one was especially good because like like a week after he died like someone on like the Kane train executive staff was like is COVID real like do we know like just is it like is it possibly if only there was could, some
2: sort of he, evidence that we could look yeah. at. too.
0: <laughs> yeah. The Herman Cain Twitter feed never acknowledged that he had died, and so like it was just tweeting as if Herman was still alive and that was his voice. And so every reply was like, "Aren't you dead, bro?" Like, yeah. "You dead?" Like,
1: you're I think in died. canon, Herm- Herman Cain is still alive. Like in the if you're really in the uh, in the Kane universe, that yeah. he's actually he's just ascended. You know? your, it's like what happened heart. to um, like Mark Hamill in the Last Jedi? Not to give anything away.
0: <laughs> He just he just disappeared, and then there was like a, a beautiful pizza box left open <laughs> on a stone overlooking a sunset. I honestly hey. don't know why uh, people
2: aren't doing this more. Uh, I had heart surgery in May, and I certainly had a few uh, scheduled tweets loaded just in case things went awry. Did you?
0: So all right. Let's, let's go back, because first of all, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. Thank you. Secondly, what was, what was the heart surgery? And then, of course, what were the tweets? That's the most important part. Well,
2: I had an aortic aneurysm, uh, which is a, the most metal-sounding of yeah, all the say, uh, medical that, is conditions. Is that good? Yeah, huh? great metal band name. No, it's, it's yeah, it's sort of like a Mars Volta shoot-off. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's basically means your aorta is just mysteriously getting larger. Uh, it's it's how Jonathan Larson, the guy who composed Rent, died because uh, if they rupture, then that's pretty much all she wrote. But um, uh, Sean Smith, the ex-singer of a band called Satchel, which I loved, died of that.
1: But uh, it's didn't John Ritter
2: also die of that? You know, it's possible. I haven't looked. I haven't looked is into it. Does this only
1: um, impact very talented people that work in entertainment?
2: I think that's sure. what it must be. That's, that's what terrible. it must be. But only the truly gifted somehow fight through it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they basically just had to like, they had to like saw into my chest and then replace the aorta with, I don't know, a holiday USB cord or whatever's in there now. Um, Jeez. But yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the surgery itself wasn't, it's like a pretty standard surgery. It's just like your breastbone healing. That's the real drag. Like every, it's better now, but like still every time I sneeze, it's like a grenade going off in my chest.
0: Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Did they give you a, a survival rate? Because obviously, and I know this as someone who had brain surgery, I don't ever yeah. talk about it. But uh, uh, was there? Did they say, okay, you know, Christian, there is a, I don't know, five or ten percent chance you do not survive this surgery.
2: Yes, it was like a 5% chance, which I wasn't so super concerned about, but I've had, uh, without getting super dark, because it's totally fine, but like both of my brothers died of heart-related stuff and my mother, and so it's like kind of a, a family thing. And so I, in my head, I'm sorry? A tradition. Yes. Um, but uh, but it, it, they the guy pretty much reassured me. He's like the main dude at Mount Sinai, like thoracic surgery dude. And he's like, it's 95%, you're going to be fine. And he was correct.
0: That's where that's where I got surgery. So we're almost practically related. We're uh, we're hospital at workers. Mount Sinai in New York. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. Seven that's West. Un- that's that was my wing. Unbelievable, man. So, um, so even though you were assured by your doctor, you were still like, well, I better I better have some some tweets to fire off in case this goes awry. Well, yeah, and of course I
2: had like the few emails, the sort of sentimental emails to stuff like that. But, you know, I did have just a couple of, you know, hey, uh, you, I, I didn't put too much thought into it. I wish I had put more thought into it. But I had one just like a couple months from no, a couple months from after the surgery being like, you know, rotting and loving it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> or, you know, a wish you were here, that kind of thing. Um,
1: just like scheduling a bunch of tweets that just say like fucking nicks to go off like every January for the next 20 years.
2: Not anymore, baby. Yeah, Clouds are parting. Yeah,
1: I saw you in one of those videos outside Madison Square Garden, randomly taking your shirt off and screaming about Trey Young. It was really inspiring to see you back doing it, yourself.
2: It's so sad to see Barstool stealing the Bing Bong guy's lunch. I don't know uh, the, yeah. the guy who said Bing Bong is like now trying to, you know, turn that into a viral thing. But Barstool already has a Bing Bong T-shirt, uh, so they steal your
1: team. IP the bing-bong guy getting, like... And he has to come up with something else now. It's very... This is uh, kind of a a sad development, especially because I think for... Just judging by that guy's general energy, he'd been waiting his whole life to say that. (laughs) Like, it had all been building up to the bing-bong moment, and then it's just gone, he doesn't have it anymore.
2: Do you think that that was, like, an inspired moment, or do you think that he literally says bing-bong 50 times a day in various contexts, and this is just the first time it was captured on camera?
1: He might do it now. I feel like the thing that I got... And I'm not, like... I mean, I didn't grow up as a Knicks fan. I think New York is way more fun when the Knicks are are good. Like, just the energy is better and, and like, weirdos are happier. And it's a lot of, you know, whatever. The stuff that you want in a city. The thing that I will say for Knicks fans in every one of those videos outside of the Garden, last year during the playoffs and then earlier this year, like, when they won their home opener— I think that those people are all authentically out of their minds at the moment that they're being interviewed. <laughs> that like, there's no faking it. That these I are agree just people that. in the middle of a, a very happy psychotic incident, and then they're just going to get on like the two and go home. <laughs> Pe- but people it's don't. Really happening,
0: Christian. You are a Knicks fan, by the way.
2: Christian I am. I've that. been a Knicks fan since 1993. I got in right when things were starting to get great, and then <laughs> I they suckered me in. It was like when the drug dealer gives you the free joint. Yeah, and and uh, they got me in the tent, and then <laughs> so like, uh, is it I,
1: always going to be as good as Derek Harper? And the answer is, uh, no, not for another couple decades. They're apparently
2: not. Now, and there is, I will say, even in the 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 many valleys, it was kind of valley followed by brief upswing, then further down the valley. There was always something that felt very honorable about being a Knicks fan. I this is maybe a Catholic sort of masochism, but. <laughs> it felt like I'm going to prove my love by not abandoning the Knicks. Like I have no respect for the Michael Rapports of the world and uh, the people who jump ship, the Andrew Yangs uh, to me, you know, there's some, there's some dignity in suffering.
0: Well, also yeah. uh, the Knicks always made everything look so fucking hard and that can always like Knicks fans. And I know, I know this cause I'm, you know, I root for the Vikings and I, and I know people who root for other football teams where, you mistake that sort of plotting style of play for like grit and toughness. So you're <laughs> like, oh, ah, yeah. ah, oh, they they do the hard work. They do the they do all the lunch pail shit, and you're so proud of how they work because because the way that they play looks like if you were attempting to play an NBA game
1: <laughs> yeah it, def- it has like the energy of like a-, a bunch of men in their early middle age playing pickup ball or at least like the the bad Isaiah Thomas teams did where, like everyone's kind of like one guy's wearing Timberlands and like somebody's got jeans on and everybody's yeah. just kind of just like well- frustrated and like instantly incredibly sweaty yeah. Like, I can't uh, relate
2: to somebody taking somebody off the dribble with like a beautiful crossover to like a finger roll or whatever. But I can relate to sort of being blocked 5 times, somehow right? scrambling to get your own <laughs> rebound and just sort of flopping the ball towards the net and it going in. Like that
0: I can like I can I can imagine that. Yeah, you yeah. you watch Charles Smith get stoned at the rim 900 <laughs> yeah. times. You're like, "I Boy, to me,
1: I've been to there." Me, like the the Zach Randolph that was on the Knicks, like who was just the most uninterested basketball player that I can remember. He would go on to have like <laughs> five more good seasons. But he I remember watching games and thinking that he was just taking threes because he didn't want to, like it was the easiest thing you could do. You just got to do like one motion with your arm and your lower body and then you're pretty much through it as opposed to trying to beat somebody off the dribble or like passing and then you have to cut and they, they yell at you if you don't. Yeah. And it was uh it was very relatable and yet at the same time that was some of the worst basketball that I've I've ever watched.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how to fix it, but I, I feel like the whole three ball era has created some sort of perverse incentives to like the hardest thing should be the thing that gets you the most points, not the easiest thing. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like Yeah.
1: I mean, it, well, there's I guess this is like the argument for um, you know, your four point lines and stuff like that, because the threes that get taken today seem way harder. Like, just a contested shot from the logo, which, like, I've seen now two different guys hit this season, is, like, that is cool. And yet I do feel like the—not to get—you know, I don't even have kids. Like, I can't play a dad card on this. But the idea of a generation of skinny kids trying to play Steph Curry-style basketball when, as a former skinny kid with delusions of athletic competence, like, the hardest thing you could do when you're that size is just get the ball to the rim— so the idea of putting off, on, like, one of those <laughs> shooting sleeves and using your entire body to get the ball, like, almost all the way to the rim from the three-point line is, uh, you know, that could use some work. Not yeah. to say that everybody should be more like Zebo, but, like, that's a, you know, there's different different approaches, horses for courses and all
2: But, that. yeah, you see a lot of those, you know, junior high and high school clips that float around, and they're throwing the ball towards the net like it's a trebuchet. Like, they're just, yeah. like, <laughs> flinging it in the general direction of the backboard.
1: Well, I remember that as like when I was in eighth grade, probably like in some ways, like the peak of my basketball competence, I had like a good shot that I could do like in a normal way. But then to get the ball to the rim from the three point line, I had an entirely different shot that involved like cocking the ball over my shoulder, like the way that the only like comp form wise was minute bowl, which again is 100 percent not what you want as a shooter. <laughs> and yet that's that's all, that's what it took.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's what they do at the basketball camps. No.
1: I also remember uh, when
0: Starks uh, posterized Jordan, and that was like, it was a huge moment for Knicks fans because it was Jordan, of course, but also it was like it was the one time one their players did something athletic, you know? So yeah. they were like, yeah. oh, my God, we looked like real athletes for one second, and like, <laughs> wow, can you believe? us?" you know, normally it's like it, <laughs> it was Patrick Ewing like lumbering around on two wooden knees and then like turning around, taking like 90 seconds to turn around to hit a turnaround jumper that would usually rim out. So like when John Starks actually leapt like a significant height over a really good player and dunked the ball, like every
1: Knicks fan was like,
0: Oh yeah. That's that's what we can do. Oh, that's fun too.
1: Yeah, we, I like the I, I like way Charles Oakley hits people with his butt, but it's cool when that guy dunked. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean there were the brief moments where they seemed like they were having like an athletic team. You know the 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 pre Carmelo team. Um, those you know. were
1: the Amari teams. Yeah, those are still the that most was fun my favorite team.
2: Yeah. yeah, since since and, you know the good glory days, but then they always blow those teams up. So
1: I covered a game during that period um, against the Timberwolves for my friend's website. And it was the most fun that I've seen the Garden be. And they were like, that team was, a you know, sort of lower seed playoff team. Like they had a lot of problems and Amari was already getting hurt and everything. But it was the first time that they had, I guess until now, yeah. that they really had like young players on the team that seemed like they were going to get better and maybe would be permitted to stay with the team while they were getting better instead of being dealt away for, you know, whatever the corroding remains of Orlando blackman or whatever and you know obviously that didn't happen but i do feel like the uh the team that they have now as imperfect as they are is kind of perfect for knicks fans in the sense that there is this like they're they're gonna wind up letting you down because they're not as good as the best teams in the east but they really are overachieving they try their asses off like and they make it annoying for other teams and i feel like that as a fan is uh, an underrated pleasure. Like it's cool when your team is like seamless golden state warriors perfection. But when that's not the case, uh, just then clearly irritating every yeah. team that visits their home floor is like, I'll take that like most days of the week.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, people don't understand just how desperate for just relevancy a lot of yeah. Knicks fans are, you know, I mean, and I'm sure that that will probably jump the shark super quick. You know, people will start to raise their expectations to unreasonable levels. And there already are some people like, you know, Julius for MVP. It's like, come on, let's bring it down yeah, a little bit.
1: Even he does not think that. Is yeah. Can we, can
2: we not? But, uh, you know, it is just nice. The idea that, you know, I think if they win a, a round, if they get into the second round of the playoffs this year, I'm fine with that. That's totally yeah. fine for me. Anything less than that, I'd be a little bumped, But,
0: you know. It is nice. So I think I think that's something that is almost a universal desire of, of fans that your team be relevant. That like, you know, it's nice you root for your your local team and all that shit. But when they actually start talking about it on national TV, you're like, oh, oh, they're talking about my my team. My team exists. Oh my god, holy shit! Well, that's, like that's the
2: problem with the attention. Knicks, though, is that everybody thinks that the you know the the, the Knicks have always been on national TV because. You know, there are, up until the really lean years, they always had a bunch of national TV games because they want you know they want the ratings of the New York fan base, especially of before course. Brooklyn became relevant. But the problem is they were never good enough, and so you'd have these nationally televised games where basically the Knicks were playing the role of the Washington Generals, and <laughs> and then everyone around the country would be like, why are people talking about the Knicks? And it's like just can't you just let us suck in in obscurity please like we would love to just suck like the timberwolves for five years and nobody kind of pay attention to us and then you know but it never goes like that
1: i definitely know that feeling as like a former new jersey nets fan there's a a simpsons gag that i always come back to where i think it's the front of lenny's house falls off and he's sitting at the table in his underpants eating beans out of a can and he says please don't tell anybody how i live (laughs) and that to me Being a New Jersey Nets fan was 100% a please don't tell anybody how I live experience for most. Like, I was going to the games. That's fine. That's my business. (laughs) But, like, I don't need to explain myself to you. Like, this is my choice. I want to watch Kevin Edwards take 11 shots and make three of them. I just don't want to have to justify it on a national scale.
0: I do think Roth that we should talk for a moment about more legitimate forms of comedy. Because oh yeah, that's Christian. Right, Christian has
1: a comedy special. This Christian oh, time. has yeah. a new Both special whites. out. Show
0: your <laughs> work. It is not out yet. Am I correct, or is it out? It is out. It came out uh, on the nineteenth. It is where uh, where can I where can it be seen? It can be seen
2: on your uh, uh, sorry Amazon Prime. It can be seen on Apple TV. It can be seen on YouTube google play i threw in google play nobody uses google play
0: no um, they don't it's true
2: <laughs> they don't it's 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 the uh it's the bing of uh, the streaming generation <laughs> um but yeah all the major platforms the easiest way is just to go to my website christianfinigan.com you can click on it and it'll bring up all the platforms and you can pick the one of your choosing
0: all right so uh i watched at the beginning of the special and you note that at the beginning of the special that during the pandemic, you lost two jobs. One, obviously, was your comedy work. You couldn't do comedy when, when event spaces have been closed. But then your own wife's, um, your wife's own space, which was called QED. Uh, yeah. QED, that had to shut down during the pandemic and was actually considered, you guys felt as if it were, and you are not alone in this, that it was kind of an afterthought in the grand reopening plans of New York City. So I wanted to ask you how you are doing now and how your wife is doing now, and then we'll talk about we'll talk about the state of comedy after that. But how are you right now? Good. I mean, you know, how's anybody? You know, let's yeah. let's
2: yeah. be let's be real. I mean, everything is on a sliding scale at this point. But um, but yeah, my wife uh, opened this venue, a little tiny labor of love venue called QED Astoria in Astoria, Queens, like seven years ago. And that uh, kind of became a a second job for me. I mean, just because it's my wife and I care about it. And uh, so I would end up doing a lot of the just grunt work, you know, taking out the garbage and going and picking up seltzer and crap like that.
0: It's in the special. We see you mopping the floors and shit.
1: Yes, like the jokes are good, but if you ever wanted to see a Christian hang a sign on a hurricane fence, entirely mm-hmm. true. This is really this,
2: is, this is the one. Yeah, it's it's like eighty percent stand up and like twenty percent kind of mini doc about uh, sort of running a small venue during pandemic. And uh, you know, it's 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 okay now. I mean, it's it's kind of a weirdly precarious time. I mean, there was that sort of COVID interregnum that we had in the spring, where everybody was predicting is going to go back to the roaring twenties and. And for a few weeks, it kind of felt like that, like crowds were huge, and and then Delta came, and everything is kind of in this sort of weird mid period now, where you know the shows are okay, I mean attendance wise, but a lot of people buying tickets that don't show up. I don't know what that's about, but that's across the board. Like my wife is involved in Niva, which is like the lobbying group for venues, and apparently it's a problem at like rock clubs, theaters that a lot of people think, like, I'm going to go out and see a live show. And then the day of, they're just like, "Eh." yeah.
0: I actually had that happen with a rock concert. My wife and I were going to go to a rock concert, and we bought the tickets prior to sort of the Delta surge. Mm -hmm. And once the surge happened, because we have two of our children are vaccinated, but one was too young for it, that's actually going to change in a couple weeks. Thank God. Um, But, you know, that night I said to my wife, you know, do you want to go to this concert? Because we would have to wear a mask and things like that. And she was like, mm, no.
1: Nah. And so we we did. We bailed. Yeah. We ate the cost. I bailed. It's, we all, we're all bailing. Yeah.
0: It's the, Especially because
1: I think during that period you were talking about that kind of like false dawn, like April, May, June experience. Like, I know that, you know, I personally, like my sister and I were talking about this recently. We bought tickets for the Titus Andronicus tour. And we're going to see him in Jersey City. I'm very excited about that. But when we homeland. bought those tickets, my sister was just like compulsively buying tickets to shows because they were like they started repopulating on the page where you go to buy tickets, and she was like, oh, nice, and didn't just supermarket sweeping through that shit, buying tickets, <laughs> to like, whatever. And then, yeah, like, as it got worse, or at least as it didn't continue to get better in a linear way, it's like we're back to doing these complicated feats of sort of risk assessment on Yeah,
2: every- I mean, and that, and that really is kind of, it's, you know, it's it's restaurants, it's it's all these places, and and there is that feeling of, like, there's no more money coming. Like, there's no... There's no yeah. more help. Whatever help you've gotten is the help you're going to get. And so, you know, like a place like QED, it's it's doing, it's doing okay. And we have grant money that sort of floats us for another six months if we want. But, you know, there has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it used to be that the place was open seven days a week and there were over 100 events a month. Now it's, you know, we're open Wednesday through Saturday and then maybe a Sunday afternoon thing. And it's, you know, it's a much more subdued kind of uh, kind of existence, and which is fine for the time being. But it's like I think everybody is kind of hoping. And also, I just think people are used to staying home now. I, I think my yeah. wife brought up the point. You know, if you're working from home, the idea of like showering and putting on pants to go to a comedy show on a Wednesday <laughs> is just not really appealing to you. In the same way it would have been if like, hey, after work, we'll go to happy hour and then we'll go see a
0: show. Yeah, you get ingrained to it, and you actually are not, like, in my case, I don't feel at times that I am aware of how sort of self-isolating I can I have become because yeah. of the pandemic. Like, I just chalk it up to my standard, like, dad laziness. Like, now nah, I don't want to, like, get in my car and drive five whole minutes to, like, go see a friend, like, mm. to have coffee. Oh, what a burden that would be. When I think I, I'm almost certain that three years ago I would have done that with with a great amount of ease. But now I'm sort of concocting these elaborate excuses, as opposed to sort of looking at myself and being like, "No, no, no, Drew, it, you're you've become sort of inured to sort of pandemic uh, isolation, and you are, you know, s- you know, sort of secretly, subconsciously embracing it." Well, and this feels like
2: interaction. What we're doing right now, you know, I mean, this feels. Like a methadone version of hanging out, <laughs> yeah, yeah really.
1: it is because well I think all this stuff gets harder, everything gets harder once you start thinking about it, like that 's just sort of universally true, I think, in life, but yeah, I was thinking about that watching the special, which i I enjoyed very much yeah it 's outdoors it 's like twenty five people yeah. you know i 'm assuming you guys are, are back doing shows inside now, is that yeah, right? we are, we are yeah, but which... there 's something about. You know, just the experience of watching it. You know, I'm watching it on my laptop at night, and at roughly the time that I might have been, you know, at a comedy club watching a comedy show. And it's not the same, no. But it's close enough. Like it's a simulation of it that is available at home without me having to, you know, put on long pants.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we we saw this this whole discourse. Uh, I hate that word, but um, <laughs> yeah, but we about, all heard it. You know, about Dune this past week. You know that. I went and actually, I have HBO Max, but I was like, no, I, I feel like I really want to go see this in a movie theater, and one of the good things now is that if you are interested in going to the movie theater, you pretty much know it's not going to be packed, uh, yeah. so I went to a, you know, I went and saw, I think, the first day, and, uh, and it, it's, I really, truly enjoyed it, but then I watched a little of it again on HBO Max, and I was bored shitless, because it's a different experience, but It's close enough. Like, are you really going to go to the movie theater and do all this crap and potentially endanger yourself or whatever for something that is only 20% better than what you could just do sitting on your couch? With a movie like Dune, that 20% is kind of what makes it worth going.
1: Right. I mean, it's a spectacle. I feel like that mindset is something I've tried really hard to check in myself. But it's hard because I'm a middle-aged man with depression and I can get all of this normal shit at home. Yeah, you know, just like, like you said, like kind of the wax store brand version of it, but still available. But that there's like an austerity mindset kind of built into that—the idea that you can only ever have so much of something, so you might as well get whatever scraps are most readily available to you. And the thing that my my wife and I have been focusing on of late—I mean, we living in New York if you're not taking advantage of the things in New York that are cool, it's just, like, a really expensive way to live in a box. 100%. You know? like,
2: yeah. And I
1: feel like you have to do better than that. Like, we have to make ourselves try to do shit, because otherwise, like, we can order in and get stuff delivered whenever. Like, we have, like, not to brag, we got, like, a subscriptions to 31 different streaming services, all really totally essential, because we're watching one show on <laughs> each of them. But it's, like... We have to, to go outside or else it's not worth
2: it. Yeah. No, I mean, my wife says it all the time. She's like, I'm just so sick of New York. It's like, because you never leave Astoria. Like, you don't right. go into Manhattan. Like, you need to, you know, like, I make her. When she first moved to New York, she lived, uh, she worked in Rockefeller Center. And so she was kind of, you know, she still gets that sort of high off that, you know, 30 Rock, you know, the, the Christmas tree, that whole vibe. And it's like, yeah. you kind of have to do that stuff to remind yourself of why you put up with living here. You
0: know. yeah because uh, if the pandemic showed anything it was that it was sort of a test of how much Americans are willing to cut corners when there are so many avenues for them to, to be able to do so right yeah uh, so if you can if you don't have to go to a restaurant you can get seamless and if you don't you know if you don't if you can't go to a rock concert, you can watch a you know you can watch a live one and like You know, on YouTube and like you're supposed to sort of think that's all right when it's nowhere near as good as a regular. ass. No, what
2: what you're missing is like the cathartic element of seeing live performance, you know, that that there is a sort of something that comes over at a good concert or a good comedy show or a good play or whatever. There is a sort of chicken skinny tingling feeling that you get yeah. when you're seeing something great that no matter how much you in, might enjoy a, a stand-up special or a, a you know seeing a whatever at home concert it's you're just not going to get you'll be able to enjoy it intellectually but you're not going to get that feeling of like oh my god i'm seeing something special right now
1: yeah i think a lot of that comes from being around other people too it's just the energy the same thing with movie theaters i mean yeah you get like the thx sound and everything like that but just the the sort of enhancement of being in a room or in a space with other people who are reacting to the same thing as you yeah it's like I don't nobody wants to have like a private viewing of a baseball game yeah you, you know you like that's the, just <laughs> not what you're looking for
0: yeah I, you, you feel the energy you know you yeah. there is something you know that it works magic on your brain in ways that you know looking at it on a screen just simply doesn't let's take a break and, and come right back with Christian again to uh, open up the fun bag and do some other shit We're back. We're back with Christian Finnegan. And we were talking about pandemic isolation and then about the state of comedy uh, during the pandemic because obviously there 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 was a a long period where there couldn't be live events, and then they sort of came back. I remember, Christian, one of the Netflix specials I watched during the pandemic was Brian Regan at Red Rocks, and it was outside, and everyone had masks on. And this was sort of before at least I knew just how rare outdoor transmission was. So I sort of watched it through gritted teeth, but we know that that is actually a pretty safe thing to do now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to ask you um, whether or not you think the pandemic changed comedy at all and what it will look like once we get to 2022, because the Delta variant is already subsiding and like little kids are going to be able to be vaccinated. So there will be normalcy restored. What will comedy look like when that happens?
2: I, you know, it's, comedy has has changed in a lot of ways over the past couple of years none of them positive in in my opinion <laughs> i think that you know the the podcast mentality kind of took over instead uh like i think a lot of comedians care, care way more about their podcast audience than their actual stand-up act at this point which i understand why because they monetize it more and and you know It used to be that you would do a podcast so that people would come out and see you live. And now I feel like kind of for a lot of comics, podcasting has kind of become the thing. And when comics don't have an audience, a live audience in front of them to kind of gauge whether their jokes are working, they kind of lean into whatever feels most provocative. And uh, I I feel like a lot of the comedian friends I have have really gone off the rails in the past 18 months, you know, comedians who were ostensibly apolitical or couldn't be bothered, which, you know, being apolitical is political. But, uh, a lot of these guys have kind of leaned in and realized like, Oh, I get way more engagement from people. If I lean into the fucking bullshit, anti social justice crap. And, you know, uh, you know, all this sort of tired, you know, uh, just, you know, all the right wing shit that uh, yeah. a lot of comics have leaned into. And without live audiences, I feel like, you know, when comedians like a left a sort of a leftist comedian of which doesn't really exist, really. <laughs> um but if they're sort of more of an alt sensibility comedian and a right wing comedian, they still have to perform for the same audience. And that sort of creates some sort of guardrails, kind of like the things you put in the gutter for kids at the bowling alley. Like (laughs) it creates some sort of framework. But, um, But yeah, but individually, now that comedians spent the last 18 months just talking to their podcast audience, I feel like they've steered into what creates the most engagement with those audiences, which tends to not be about comedy. It tends to just be about like owning glibs or pushing buttons yeah. and I feel like it's a super negative thing. I think like the, the Chappelle controversy, which is weird for me, someone who pretty much gonna owes gonna his say, career like, to Dave Chappelle. Um, it's I think that, you know, it's it really sucks that if Dave Chappelle had put out a, a special of one hour full of amazingly constructed jokes, we would not be talking about it the way we're talking about it now.
1: No, of course which not. Me out. Yeah. I, because I, it sucks. It's not like that whole the clapter idea, which I think was always I was Tina Fey. directed. Yeah, but it just feels like the same. It's like sort of a the sour, like other side of the mirror version. Yes,
2: of that. 100%. And it always was directed at like liberal comedians trying to go for the easy sort of applause. And yeah, it was, if anything, it was it's t- way more the other side now.
0: Yeah, it was yeah. Tina Fey criticizing Jon Stewart, like accurately, I thought. Yes. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of, yeah, it was, it, it was just she. She described it better than I could. But um, so there's 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 two things I want to ask you. One, you mentioned that you had friends that had had sort of essentially been red pilled. Have you talked to them about? Have you had your friendships affected by this in comedy?
2: Well, I mean, friend, friends is is maybe it's been revealing. I guess in the sense that I don't really feel like I can call these people friends, and I don't say they're enemies either. They're coworkers. They're right. they're, they're peers. They're people who I interact with. And a lot of times when you're hanging out after or before a show at the bar having drinks, it feels like you're hanging out with friends. Right. But it's been very clarifying to me that, that you know, no, these aren't friends. And I don't want to make them friends. And I'm not – I don't want to burn them to the ground either. But I just – I want to sort of – the fact that we can make jokes about how much an audience might suck or how much an audience – a heckler was a problem or whatever – that doesn't mean that we share the same set of core values, and that's okay. That's okay, but um, it has been clarifying in that sense, and it, it has been weird going back to the clubs now that sort of a lot you know clubs are happening again, and there's sort of regular performances and and being in the room with like I bumped into a dude who I had worked with a lot in the past, and he is very far off the grid, or you know, very leaned very hard into the right wing stuff. And he sent. I bumped into him, and he sent me a DM on Twitter the next day, being like, "Hey, I feel like you were kind of giving me the cold shoulder. What, what you know? Did, did did I do something?" And I was like, "No, but you know, I can read. I, I, I read right. what you post. <laughs> like, I see what you're doing, and I'm sorry that we're not going to have the same chuckles as we used to because, you know, I'm literally. And then what,
1: an, what did he say? Experience after that? like all up and down the culture these last few years too, just in terms of finding out what people really want. And how much they really want it, yeah, I mean, like so you don't want to put it all on on Trump because it's first of all, it's boring to talk about him at this point, but I think there is this idea of having to sort of i mean for me, like just going back to my hometown and stuff, and like it's moved i guess to a certain extent to the left, but just. Knowing that, like, neighbors that I've known for a long time, like, what they actually support, what they're willing to put up with, what they vote for yeah. and stuff, it's different. Of course, it, it's going to color your experience of that. Yeah. You, I, like, you know them in a way that maybe you don't want to have known them, but certainly you didn't know them before.
2: Yeah, the, the sort of the, – the metaphor I always sort of think of – simile? I don't. Uh, um, you know, at the end of Blazing Saddles where they create the fake town, which is just, you know, f- flat pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then they, yeah, yeah. Um, lord the posse. And I feel like everyone has been operating under these ideas that these were these institutions in these sort of rules for behavior, you know, being honest, being acting in good faith, being generally charitable to other people, that these were sort of j- actual buildings that sort of conf- confined your behavior. And right. Trump kind of came in and pushed them all over and everybody yeah. realized, oh, these aren't real. No one's stopping me from lying. I can lie as much as I want. I can act in bad faith as much as I want. And there's really nothing anyone can do about it. And it, so if if Trump had a role at all, it was just in sort of like releasing, sort of yeah. showing people that like, oh, I can be the piece of shit I've always wanted to be. Right. Yeah,
1: he's an aspirational figure that way. Yes, think, 100%. Yeah. I think only in that way. But yeah, like when you see like, the thing that I've been noticing as we've been out more this is a new trend, I think, like beyond like placard abuse in New York, people that have like these little, you know, just so they can park their car wherever. A new thing for police officers near police stations has been parking their cars on the sidewalk, parking them nose in, yep, like across the sidewalk so that you cannot walk across the sidewalk, just turning this space into a parking lot. And it's such an overt metaphor for, again, or simile, hard to say, <laughs> uh, for what... That was a metaphor. like, general energy is that it's, it's so on the nose, it's almost insulting.
2: Well, and it's, like, the idea that, that power is its own justification, you know, because right. I can do this, I should do this. And to not do this would almost make me a pussy.
0: Like Yeah, uh, right. If, like, you know, if you it, don't
1: like it, drive your car over my car, because <laughs> otherwise, like, there's really no recourse beyond that.
0: Do yeah. you see, uh, Christian, do you see... Sort of better times ahead for comedy, or do you feel like a lot of this has overshadowed it? So uh, overshadowed, shadowed uh, the craft so much that it's in danger of just sort of staying where it is. with I Chappelle mean, just doing, like 500 more specials, doubling down on shit he already doubled down on.
2: I, I don't know. I mean, I look at it like music. I always think that every generation is a direct response to the generation that preceded it, and so it will probably be another five years of kind of. Aging comedians like myself wrestling with this crap, but the pe- the the people who are fourteen, fifteen years old, who are going to start doing comedy in the next five, six, seven years, they're not going to have the same baggage. I hope, or they're going to come to it with sort of fresh eyes, and it will become awful in its own way, and it's in a new way yeah, yeah. that I haven't anticipated yet. And it'll uh, be
0: thirsty. It'll be yes. way too thirsty. It'll be But yeah, it'll, I, it'll,
2: I, I I have to think though that that these sort of dumb fights that we're having now the the chappelle versus hannah gadsby like all that crap that this is sort of a a totem for what's going on in the culture right now and it's going to feel very old to young people
1: very quickly especially because the because the jokes aren't there you know that yes. it's like the rest it's just like fake politics yeah like it the idea of this is like a congressional election that no one's going to remember like it, yeah it is grim though i wonder you would mentioned in the in the special the experience of when you opened up the space in the back of comics sort of coming back in there and seeing their faces sort of light up at the possibility of being able to perform live for actual people again. Yeah. That there's people, I think you say in there, that like that really need to be doing this. Yeah. And there's, I guess I don't want to have you say whether this is false hope or whatever on my part, but there's a part of me that hopes that just getting people in the room again would sort of act as a regulator. I agree.
2: That, like, no, I 100% agree. And, and, and you know, we're seeing it in the culture in general. I mean, it's—I'm not making any incredibly astute observation here, but you know, when people are only interacting through social media and stuff like that, when you're when you're arguing with somebody from the comfort of your toilet or whatever, it's gonna you're gonna take on a more lizard brain attitude than if you actually have to be in the physical room with them. And so, hopefully. Yeah. You know, as things actually do become safer and people feel people on the left who may not have felt comfortable interacting in person, like as as they re-enter the public sphere. I'm not talking about, you know, Florida or places where right, people, the people been, that have always been out there. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, telling yeah. Their yeah. server to lower
1: their masks. <laughs> so no hope for that. that. Mouth like those fucking guys. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. But once the actual like everyone is out in the world again, interacting with the jury, I do think that will be a mitigating factor. Hopefully, though, the mitigation won't come on all on one side, Uh, you know, that like, oh, I guess we all have to adjust to this guy carrying a AK-47 into Panera Bread, Um, which, you know, is part of the problem with, I think, being on the, the liberal side of things is that I think, you know, in general, there are head people and there are gut people, you know, and the head people understand the need for gut people. But the gut people don't understand the need for head people, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, okay. And so, if you're the kind of person, like sometimes like yeah, you know, sometimes we need people who are just going to make a decision and have strength, and like when you're fighting wars. But the gut people are never like we need somebody who thinks more. It's like well,
0: they don't see it that way. <laughs> yeah. Now I just have a picture. I just have Chuck Schumer's face like floating around in my brain. No, you know. <laughs> well, the other thing is that you know, and I and I I've been as 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 susceptible to this as anybody, but. There's the idea that online you can be sort of your realer self. You know, that if you're you know, if you're face to face with somebody, you essentially have to put on a face. You have to have manners, you have to mm-hmm. be polite and all that stuff. But that's not really the real you. But I think what we have found is that actually no, you, you know, being polite and withholding some of your, you know, grossest id to another person when you're out in public very much is the real you and should be the real you yeah. and the the person that you're trying to be online you know the yeah. rebellious shithead that's actually not that's not someone you ought to be and that's not necessarily who you are if you you know if you had some people around you to put you in check there's somebody better that you can be
2: yeah i've always thought like if you could weird science a human being like just create a person from scratch if somebody if somebody were to make a human being from scratch, based solely on what you post on social media? Like, that was the only input they had. Would you hang out with that person? And if the answer is no, what are you doing? Like, like I feel like the goal should be for your online persona to at least resemble the person who I would meet at the mall.
1: Yeah, definitely the idea of me just thinking, like, about the sum of my tweets, just like this hideous... Mass of cartilage and a Mets hat making puns. Like I think that's still probably better than, than like you know eighty percent of it. But yeah, that is definitely true. Like the most signifying rude version of yourself. Like you would not want to meet it in real life. No. no. Would you uh, Would
0: you like to answer some fun bag questions, Christian? Try and stop me. I was gonna. Uh, we were gonna play Dead Cancelled, but it was Richard Pryor, and that's pretty obvious that he oh, no, it was died. Jenny. Uh, Richard Jenny was the guy to remember. We we remember oh, a guy okay. every week. And it was going to be the late Richard Jenny, who I loved and who the whose platypus specials I, I watched in perpetuity, like on Showtime. That was the we didn't have HBO, we had Showtime, which is like having Sega instead of Nintendo. But I you know my
2: remember. old manager was his old manager, and so when he uh, when he passed, uh, I was acutely aware of it. I was never really a fan of the uh, platypus man thing, but uh, but I he seemed like a nice guy and like a lot of comedians, had a little bit of darkness.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then let's skip all of that and get to the fun bag. This is from Ben. He writes in, Christian, listen carefully. Track running is obviously done around a curved track to allow it to happen in a stadium. But do we run faster in a straight line? Would the world record for the 400 meters, for example, be faster or slower if it was run on one long straight track? If you've got yes. on a little curve, right?
2: I, I think invariably, yes. I mean, it might be fractions of a second, but I'd say yes.
0: If you had to turn, I wonder if the people, I su- like if you're, if your turn is a bit more acute if you're on the inside of the track, does that mean you slow down than if you're on the outside of the
1: track and your
0: turn is more gradual?
1: I think it's an even playing field because they're all trying to do the same shit. Mm. But I do think that a straight track would probably be, yeah, like I think it would probably be faster. You wouldn't have to account for as much. You're just running,
0: right? Also, it would be more like quarter horse racing, and I could bet on it in a, a much more sort of exciting yeah. and now legal uh, fashion, which I would enjoy. Yeah, it'd be hey, great s- for you. That would be. It's like
1: a new season every week.
0: This is from Scott. He writes in. So, despite getting vaccinated and take all taking all reasonable precautions, I have contracted COVID. It's not a lot of fun. But so far, the symptoms are manageable. Luckily, my wife and two young daughters have all tested negative. So I'm currently quarantined in my basement for 10 days. The problem is that I am bored. Bored to death. I'm lucky enough to have access to a large TV, streaming services, laptop, etc. But just watching movies all day gets old quick. Do you have any ideas for how I can pass the time? I honestly don't know what to do for 10 days to keep my mind healthy while my body recovers. Christian, obviously, they should watch your special. But after that... How, because I had a friend who also had to quarantine in her own basement for two weeks and nearly lost her goddamn mind. What would you suggest to this uh, reader? Um, I don't know, models or something.
2: <laughs> I'm trying, <Yeah. laughs> trying to think of something that like engages your mind and your hands in a way that you can't do, like that that will actually make you focus on what you're doing. Like I'm not a jigsaw puzzle guy, but I think that people who get into jigsaw puzzles, but like... I I, I do think that something tactile uh, helps eat hours better than just, I mean, obviously streaming, you know, binging TV shows is the drug of choice for all of us when it comes to wasting time. But that can have a really depressing feeling. After like episode seven, when you hit yeah. when you hit play on epi- on the eighth episode, and you're just like, I suck.
1: I'm just the worst. I was gonna say it's the moment. It's like the moment during a day where you sort of realize that your breath got bad at some <laughs> point. You know, <laughs> like you ate lunch like two and a half oh. hours ago, but at some point you're like, Oh man, I don't like that at all. <laughs> That's yeah. not and like yeah. There's it's a different point for everybody, but yeah, like it's only not so many episodes of white collar go down easy.
0: <laughs> it's also it's not new, and I swear to God, Christian, this is not not an insult to you, but like. Like, when I was in my 20s uh, with my wife, I would binge watch I Love the 80s All Day. And, of course, you were on that.
2: No, I was on Best Week Ever.
0: You were on Best Week Ever. So they're I would watch,
2: very interchangeable.
0: Yes, yeah, so I would watch that and Best Week Ever and, like, do that, like, all the course of an entire Sunday, you know? Yeah. And, or I would, I would binge watch movies in college and stuff like that. And so even, even this you know, pre-streaming services and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you definitely felt extremely unaccomplished. Like, you were like, oh, "Oh, what what did I just do with my day? It's the most
1: regret I've ever felt for something that happened usually when I was sober. Like, just looking up, especially during Mm. the, the fall where, like, the sun starts going down early and at some point, it's like 5.15, and you're watching a fucking Wake Forest football game, and you're like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> like, where did I go? Dude, the worst
2: <laughs> the worst, is in like the mid-2000s, or when VH1, they and MTV as well, but they would start airing entire seasons of those, you know, uh, ro- The Challenge or Road Rules, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Tough Enough. I remember on, a, on an airplane, I watched an entire cross-country, because they would... They would take out the the beginnings and middles uh, beginnings and ends of the shows, and so it would just run together like one long show. <laughs> oh
0: my god! Uh, like, the like, like a Godfather saga of Tough nine hour shows. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I watched six hours of uh, the tough the wrestling reality show.
0: Oh which, my uh, god! By the way, I would say to Scott that he should buy Lego sets because uh, yes, exactly. I used I did Lego with my kids, and uh, and I would always bitch and moan. Before, because they wanted to build something, and they would never want to do it themselves, right? They would always want help. I'm like, fine, I'll help you. And then at some point, like 15 minutes into like the the session, like they would like start trying to get into, it, and I'd be like, fuck off, I'm doing this.
1: So <laughs> i like, so like, building he, this Batmobile. Yeah, let
0: Daddy build the Batmobile. <laughs> uh do you guys want to do one more, or should, yeah, we, sure. uh, should we fuck off now? Uh, John writes in, is it okay to fart in the office now? If everyone has masks on, I assume fart smell will not waft as easily to my coworkers' noses. I think John's probably mistaken, Christian. Do you agree? I would say he's mistaken, and I love the idea that, like, is it okay now? Like, like do yep. I have
2: permission to just <laughs> unleash, uh, to just crop dust the entire uh, um, cube set? Uh, it's a new era now. Yeah, Post
1: COVID, I'm allowed to do this to you.
2: You know, for 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 a year and a half now, I've tried to take other people's health into account, but now I can just uh, <laughs> I've been holding it in for eighteen months.
0: Now, now <laughs> I gotta be me. Yeah.
2: I would say yeah, it's
1: as
0: okay really as it great. ever was. Well, let's put it that way. All right, yeah. I think that's I think that's. A good I would one. say
1: yeah. If you are if you feel like you have the consent of your coworkers, if you go to them, look them in the eye, and are like, I'm gonna I'm gonna become a farting in the office guy now. I, um, is that all right by you?
0: I'm actually a bad person to ask uh, to answer this question because I can't smell. But to, to either of you, did you find that your smell was inhibited by wearing a mask out inside or out inside or out? Probably. I mean, you know, you,
2: again, like like Roth's saying, it's like you, you become acutely aware of your own breath, which is I probably been educational for all of us. Yeah. Yes. The, Blessing and a curse. Yeah. Especially when you start to recognize like a particular scent and you're like oh that's my individual gross scent because we all have friends who just they have this certain brand of bad breath that you can acutely identify like if you were to close your eyes be like oh that's jim or whatever (laughs) but none of us think that we have that
1: yep and And then uh, at some point you're like no i'm you're dave who loves ham that's the smell that that you produce (laughs) yeah i will say that it's been good in new york I remember talking about this on the Chris Bosch episode. So this is now, it's uh, Chris Bosch and Christian Finnegan are the two people that have had to deal with this bit, that wearing it outside when people still wore masks outside was sometimes a blessing on, like, there's randomly streets in my neighborhood, but in every neighborhood in this city, but I think also in other ones, that just smell like piss. It's like the ones that the dogs all like, they love it. And so that's their the club that they go to where they're just like, oh, yeah, this is like 78th Street. And you know what happens here. And like <laughs> on a hot day, it's nice to have a mask on and not smell the street that 100 dogs piss in every day. Yeah, New yeah. York
0: summer smell. You get that, You get that garbage soup
1: going on. That is mm, not hot yogurt. We love the 2nd uh, the <laughs> Avenue <laughs> station on the F. Oh, really good hot yogurt uh, smells.
0: Disgusting. Uh, Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can us to add free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to defector.com too while you're at it. And... Christian Finnegan, our guest. His special is "Show Your Work." It's excellent, and also the documentary parts far, far exceed the standard awkward like intro that most comedian specials have, where they're like backstage and like a llama shows up for no reason and stuff like that. So, it's a very, very good special, and it's available everywhere right now. Christian, you are a great guest. Would you come on again sometime? If you beg, only. Yes. Uh, on okay. my knees! Let's pretend you're Please. You depends depends the yes. how
1: the Knicks do the rest of the season. All
0: right. Well, beautiful. <laughs> we'll see you all again next week. Bye, everybody.
1: Thanks, man. Bye.